Hey everyone, it's Kathy White here from Geek Girl Meetup and you're joining me for episode number two of our Geek Girl Meets series. This is a series where we meet really interesting women in tech to find out about their careers, how they got to where they are and what their plans are for the future. This is totally to inspire you to figure out what you might want to do in your life and how you can get there. And I'm delighted to have one of my favorite people in tech join me today, which is Sarah Drinkwater, who heads up Campus London here. Uh, Sarah, thank you for joining me this morning. Thanks, Kathy, for having me. So the first question that I like to ask, and this is gonna be a regular theme for us, is when you were growing up, what did you want to be? So I was a pretty kooky child. I'm one of four, and I grew up in a very small town in Gloucestershire. And I was always obsessed with words. So since I was very small, um, I was always with a pen and paper and I always wanted to be a writer. Um, I read the whole time. I drew the whole time. Uh, I had a brief dalliance of being a ballerina, but for me it was always about being a writer, someone who expresses themselves. Okay. So, writer. Mm -hmm. How does a writer end up leading campus here in London? How, what's your career journey been? It's been very interesting. Um, <laughs> good, good. Interesting well, good. This is good. So I did, um, I always did arts at school. My dad is a developer, so two of my brothers. And I think for me, I really suffered from, at the time, the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of division between arts and science. So when I was choosing A-levels, it was strongly suggested to me that I had to pick all art subjects to do English at uni, which I'm really bullish now about arts and science being really interrelated topics I'm really bullish about people being renaissance and studying whatever they want so I did English I did a master's in renaissance literature and um, I spent a lot of my 20s not really knowing where I was going which I think is a great message I didn't hear those stories when I was growing up at all yeah all of the grown-ups that I knew when I was a kid were extremely sorted and 23 in lawyers or 24 and then the flat and I think to someone like me that was very intimidating so for my 20s a lot of that time I was a journalist, I worked for people like The Guardian, I worked for women's magazines, which was something I've always wanted to do and I got there and hated it. Um, I managed a vintage clothing shop for a while, I ran a theatre company, I used to direct. And um, towards the end of my late 20s, I kept thinking, um, I've been blogging for years, I'm very comfortable with the internet, having grown up with it since before I can remember, my dad was very early sort of involved in, in the sort of web era. Um, I'd always blogged and somebody emailed me in my late 20s and said, can you come do some writing for my startup? I didn't know what a startup was. I had to go and look it up. Yeah. And the more that I found out about that way of working, I ended up quitting my still quite badly paid, still not very prestigious journalism job and going and freelancing for startups and freelancing for advertising agencies. And with the advertising agencies, again, it seemed glamorous. It was working on big name clients like Nokia and Microsoft. But I was so much more intrigued by the kind of startup side of things. And I began working for very small companies doing content in community and community I think it's a, a really nebulous word that still isn't easily definable but for me it's being the middleman between the product and the users and that was what I ended up specializing in is, is being that first point of contact for feedback good or bad messaging out changes to the product trying to trying to kind of be that bridge and I very much I ended up working for a German startup called quite salty Yelp I looked after the UK team on that and it was my first time managing a team. It was my first time having quite a lot of say in the strategy, and I loved it. And then while they're in the middle of being sold, I um, basically got approached to apply for a job at Google, which I hadn't realised they'd approached every single community manager in town about. <laughs> okay. It was a very small field in those days. Yeah. Um, came to Google to work on Google Maps, and Campus opened quite soon afterwards. And having been 
in every company I was the only non-developer that I, you know I worked for very small early stage startups I was always the only non-developer I was also always the only woman and having grown up in a very technical household I was used to that feeling but I also didn't love it so for me I could easily see the potential of a space like this so I began volunteering doing what we call at Google a 20% project which is one day a week and then when the job came up I was extremely fortunate to be in the right place at the right time perfect so what does the average day look like now for you? What do you... It's really varied. And yeah. That's what I love. I get bored very easily and that's kind of a problem for me. So um, I do everything from um, working with Francesca, who's our amazing program manager, to um, set the kind of strategy around all of our programming. So that's everything from mentoring every single Friday morning, the longer form programs like Campus for Mums, our Baby Friday Startup School, the kind of one-off technical trainings. I do a lot of sitting down with startups one-to-one and helping them. Yeah. That's something I always want to keep. I think it's it's very easy in my kind of role to always be sitting on your floor thinking about your team things. And I think actually it's very important to be sort of, you know, accessible because that's the whole point of places like campus is, is you know, somebody genuinely being able to help you with things that hopefully they can. Um, I spend a lot of time kind of advocating for startups, whether that's with, you know, journalists or policymakers or going to other campuses around the world. And I also spend more time than I probably would like dealing with um, silly things like, why is the lift so slow? <laughs> it's an obsession of mine. Okay, good. So good very varied. Yeah, the lift in our building, I'll make note of that every yes, time. Yes, sorry. Like, mess with Sarah, let them know. <laughs> Feedback always good. Yeah, cool. So when we were emailing, we were talking about a couple of different initiatives mm-hmm. that you are involved in outside of the day-to-day mm-hmm. and running of campus. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to? Yes. So I guess one thing, one goal I really set myself last year was I've been asked to join quite a few boards over the years for startups, and I always wanted to maintain some distance between you know myself and our community while at the same time being helpful. And then co-first girls who I've been friends with, you know, I've actually known Amali since she was a shoe designer and I was running a clothing shop, so brilliant. earlier iterations in our careers. Um, she asked me to be join their board last year and co-first girls, for those who don't know, is an amazing non-profit that helps women, particularly arts graduates, get technical training and consider tech as a career. And for someone like me who's an arts graduate who came to tech quite late, who probably should have been working in tech a little bit earlier... It has an amazing mission, and I'm really proud to be on their board. They have big plans for next year. You know, in the last year, about a 1,000 women took their coding training. It's completely free as well. And we're going to be hosting a summer boot camp at campus this year. They're also doing a lot more work around thought leadership, diversity in large tech companies. I think we all know there's a challenge around hiring in the pipeline. Yeah. But ultimately, if Code First Girls can go in there, you know, help, help train up young women match them with people within industries as mentors and then place them as apprentices or as, as junior developers or in junior technical roles. I think there are many roles in tech that, outside of development. I think that's great for the industry and it's great for women as well. Okay, and how can someone get involved in Code First Girls? So I believe it's codefirstgirls.org is their website. And I think, um, you know, if you are a young woman looking to get into tech, it's worth going there and having a look at their courses. They actually have links with a lot of universities around the UK, so that's a great place to start. Okay. Um, if you are not wanting to kind of learn but wanting to teach, they also have a lot of spaces for instructors as well. And it's a really friendly community. They also run an annual conference. Um, the one last year had about, I think, 250 people on next is going to be even bigger. They run Hack Your Career Days around the UK as well. Yeah. It's worth just emailing and seeing how you can get involved. Cool. No, I'm a big fan of Code First Girls. And no, Amali, she's been involved in a couple of our Geek Girl events as well. And it's a fantastic initiative. Mm. Now, that's not the only one, though, is yes. it? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Like I said, I like to overcommit myself. Exactly. Um, 
So I'm also, I've also been, um, Martha Lane Fox has been working on Dot Everyone for the last year. Yeah. And they have a very strong strand within that. So just to explain Dot Everyone, their mission is to make Britain brilliant in the networked age. And they have a very strong women in tech strand looking at, first of all, leadership. Why are there not enough women in tech leaders? But also looking at how um, young female entrepreneurs, not necessarily young, that's the wrong word, how female entrepreneurs can get parity in terms of access to funding. I think you and I both know that people starting companies are comparatively diverse these days, but (laughs) people that get serious funding seem to look the same. And I think there's a load of complex reasons behind that, but I love the fact that 5050 Tech, which is not everyone's initiative, is really looking at a very practical solution. Yeah. So it's taking uh, a group of its applications that open now, and it's basically taking a group of female-fronted or co-founded companies who are ready for funding. Um, I think it's between 100,000 to a million funding they're looking for, and putting them in a room on a pitch day at campus in February with uh, funders. So everything from VCs to high net worth individuals. And um, I need to look up the application address because I didn't memorise that beforehand. That's fine. What we'll do is, uh, as I did on the last one of these that I recorded, I said, assume that while you're listening to this podcast, in the information box below, (laughs) we'll have all of the links. And I think I went through some of the applications yesterday because there's a group of us that are kind of judging and... These are amazingly diverse and interesting companies, and I think it's. I would love to see a really great set of applications, and it's it's UK wide as well. It's very much not London only. Yeah, no. There's uh, you're involved in a lot of good stuff, which now leads me to a more slightly practical question: How do you manage to do all of that? Because I, you know, I, I find it hard enough doing seed camp and geek girl um, a little yeah, bit on the side. This is a constant question for myself. I think. I'm always trying to be better organised because it doesn't come naturally to me at all. So having just got married and moved house, which, you know, those it sounds ridiculous. Getting married is logistically very intensive. Yeah. There's a lot of things to organise. Um, I rely very heavily on, and this sounds like ridiculous, I rely quite heavily on Google Calendar and Google Docs being collaborative. If it's not in my calendar, that's why when you first emailed me about this, I put it in my calendar straight away yeah. because I know myself. If it's not in my calendar, sometimes I forget about it. And I also have, um, I have a, a to-do list that is completely live at all times uh, for home and for work and I keep them separate but it's, it's the kind of thing that even at the weekend I sometimes have a to-do list and that's the only way I keep myself organised. And I also am lucky in that I love getting up very early um, and I go to bed extremely early as well. <laughs> in my 20s I partied a lot and I've, I've realised you can't quite do that in your 30s if you want to committed things sadly yeah I'm finding it difficult <laughs> this morning not gonna lie a little bit of stretch yeah <laughs> and I got up it's fine yeah it's fine so if you were to talk to anyone who maybe like me is in their 20s or even a little bit younger yeah. they're, they're back at school and they're thinking about their careers and, and what to do what is the kind of like the biggest piece of advice that you could offer someone that you maybe wish you had had when you were at that age? I think don't limit yourself. You know, I, it's such an exciting time. You know, when I was a teenager, the internet wasn't as developed as it is now. It was, you know, in Gloucestershire, unless you wanted to do what your parents did, it was very hard to find out about careers. The idea of me in Gloucestershire becoming a journalist seemed incredibly remote. I had no contacts, no ties, no nothing. Whereas I think now, whether it's sending somebody a tweet, you know, the last intern I hired pre-Google came via a tweet asking to buy me a coffee. I love coffee. She's, you know, I ended up hiring her to the startup. I ended up hiring her to Google. 
she still volunteers. She runs Women at Campus now, funnily enough. Oh, so she now volunteers here. But I think, um, I think one great thing about the internet is the ability to be closer to information and the ability to, to meet people. The barriers are broken down a slightly bit, a little bit in that way. But I think for me, the best advice I would have given myself at that age is not to limit myself. I took one look at what I wanted to do and thought I wasn't, conf- I thought I wasn't able to do it. And I think part of that ties into confidence. Part of it ties into the messages you, the messages you're getting from your school, your friends, your parents, your peers. Um, but anyone who really wants to do anything great, you have to ignore a lot of good advice to get there. Yeah. Even advice that seems very rational, like the number of times I've left entire careers with nothing to go to, and people have told me that's silly, but it's worked out quite well for me. Yeah, it, sometimes it doesn't make sense to just sit in one place and wait for something, does it? I think it? it's the worst, actually. I think the worst, the lowest point in my entire career was one of my last journalism jobs where I basically stalled. I was there for two years. I should have left after three months. Um, I had a boss that, a female boss actually, that really blocked me and stopped me getting promoted repeatedly and was jealous about the ideas I had. And was jealous. I had a blog at the time that was doing quite well outside of work. Yeah. Um, and I think I just lost my confidence in that job. And it was only when I decided I will leave this job and I will have nothing to go to because it will make me work really hard to get the next thing. And that was the biggest vote of confidence I could give myself. So I think for anyone now who's hearing, I remember my teacher saying to me, my career's teacher at school, and I went to quite a ritzy academic girls' school, I remember him saying, well, it's just not very likely you'll become a journalist, so I think you should really look into teaching. And I remember looking at him thinking, this is meant to be your job, you're meant, yeah. to, be, you're meant to be giving me encouragement. Yeah, hmm. interesting tact. Unless it was kind of like a reverse psychology type thing. Maybe. Saying, maybe. You, I bet you can't do this and now you will, maybe. Maybe. I mean, that would be a great tactic. Yeah. Um, just going back, because obviously you just mentioned women at campus yes. as well. Oh, yes, so, of course. Yeah, so tell us yeah, a little so, more about um, that. So we have, and this is something I feel like I've, I mean, obviously it's a Geek Girl podcast, so we're going to be talking a lot about women. Um, but, you know, for me, I think it's so important to be creating opportunities for other women. It's so important to be helping younger people get where they want to be, male or female. So Women at Campus is our community for female founders and startup workers and those who are curious about the startup world, I want to add, because we actually have a lot of people in that community who aren't quite there yet. Yeah. Maybe they're still studying. I met someone yesterday who's still at Goldman Sachs, which I love. I love it when I meet someone who's got a really high-paid job and they're thinking about leaving because that's an exciting point in their lives. That's a real vote of confidence, I think, in yourself. And um, it's basically a monthly breakfast. So yesterday morning, we had about 150 women get together and hear from three different founders about a particular challenge they faced. So sometimes it's kind of a straightforward networking format, what you're looking for, what you can offer. Um, sometimes we have speakers. We had a massive party last year with, you know, you, Ada's List, Girls in Tech. And um, I think the community now, in terms of email lists, it's over a 1,000 people you know, the campus community as a whole, we're about to release new stats, we're 37% female right now, which, you know, I still think there's room to grow, but if I think that's increased 12% in the last year. And by comparison as by well, comparison, that's huge to uh, kind of the industry standard is much lower. But I think, I genuinely think things are changing. I think we're seeing, and I, I bet if you divvy it up into technical roles and non-technical roles, there'd still be that split that we're familiar with. But I think things are genuinely changing and, you know, the field of tech not that I think the word tech makes sense anymore because everything's tech, the field of entrepreneurship is increasingly appealing to many young people and people at different parts of the stages of their life too. Yeah. 
So how does how do we keep in touch with women in so, campus? So um, campus.co/london is our website, and um, if you look at our events page, um, you'll see a kind of sign up link to join our mailing list, and we have events about every month or so. We also do run a lot of other community led events in that area too. So two more questions, just uh, some nice little ones that we like to kind of finish up with. Mm-hmm. So what are you reading or listening to or watching every single day that kind of um, gets those creative <laughs> juices of yours kind of flowing? So I am a massive reader. Um, I also do creative writing. I have a short story coming out next week in an anthology, which I'm very excited about. Um, the anthology, it's Unwritten Rules. And it's uh, Curtis Brown Creative, which is a novel writing course I was part of a couple of years ago. So it's a collective of writers that have brought out an anthology together. So um, I am watching Transparent, which is an amazing Amazon sitcom about um, a woman who's just transitioned and her family. And it's really funny. I am listening to Serial, like everybody else. And um, also, uh, I always love six music. Music is just a part of my life. And in terms of reading, I love books. Um, I'm in the middle of reading A.M. Holmes' May Be Forgiven, which is a pretty kooky Granton novel about a suburban family going wrong. And I've also just read Ben Lerner's 1004, which is brilliant. And that's about how we're all multiple. People aren't just one thing, they're multiple things at once. Yeah. Okay. Hard to explain. That's pretty kooky, but I loved it. Okay, that sounds... I'm going to have to check that one out myself, I think. And, and finally... You know, who has been a massive inspiration on you and your career? Well, this is very topical. Um, the first song of my wedding last month um, was David Bowie. He was a real hero of mine growing up. Yeah. And um, just a relentlessly innovative person. And I think something that's always really appealed to me about him, whether it's in his music, in his films, in his art, in his business, he did a lot of business stuff that isn't really talked about, um, business stuff. Um, he had his own currency at one point, you know, is he was always himself, even though that self was constantly in flux. And I think um, that's a very reassuring message. I think we're often told by society we can only be one thing. Yeah. So people often say to me, oh, you have nice shoes. And I'm like, why can't I work in tech and have nice shoes? You know, why can't I, you know, write short stories and do what I do as a job? I think, I think it's about limiting ourselves. And I think the happiest people I know are people who work in lots of areas at once and have a lot of input and a lot of stimulus. Um, and I just think he was an amazing person, and I'm really sad. Yeah, amazing. What do you have? Yeah, he was incredible. <laughs> yeah, right? um, yeah. I was absolutely gutted when I heard the news earlier this week, and then yesterday I was even more gutted when I heard Alan Richmond. I met Alan Richmond once. So um, when I was a teenage thesp, I used to direct plays, and um, we went to London. Me and the, this play that I wrote went to London. This is like 1995 or something. We were kids, and we were really, you know, we were like country bumpkins. And um, we went to the National and met him, and he was so nice to us and so generous with his time. Yeah. In a way that I don't imagine many Oscar-winning actors might be if they met 14-year-old directors, you know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, when people who are your parents' age start dying? It's very morbid, no. We're not going to end on that. <laughs> no, we're not going to end on go that. Back to, so, so David Bowie, inspiration, yes. Alan Rickman, absolutely phenomenal actor, lovely, yeah. lovely man. One more person who inspires you. I have a really weird one when you first emailed me this is the first person that popped into my head um, I did a masters in relative literature which is basically Shakespeare's friends and one of my favourite writers that I studied on the course was Queen Elizabeth I I'm not a royalist oh, wow. I'm not okay. a royalist at all yeah um, she was 
a female ruler at a time when we talk about the death of female role models now, then there were literally there was literally nobody. She was extremely educated by the standards of her day for a man, let alone a woman. And she dealt with a lot of really difficult situations and she wrote great poetry and she had some amazing portraits painted. And um, there's a lot more nerdy detail, detail I could get into, but I think she's amazing. And I think also um, a really quick shout out to my amazing husband, Stuart, who is funny and clever and kind. How can people get in touch and follow you? Um, the best way is Twitter. I am Sarah Drinkwater and I'm pretty good at getting back to people on Twitter. So feel free to ping me for advice or anything. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us for Geek Girl Meets. And for anyone listening out there to stay in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at GGM UK. We're on Facebook as Geek Girl Meetup UK. And if you go to our website, you can sign up for our newsletter to stay on top of all of our events. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.